We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Hello, Sunshine. I'm Alexi Wallace, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue colored glasses. This week, we'll be talking MLS MVP, VAR again, Dune, Ole, Asterisk, uh, Klopp, Memphis, Aspria, National Team Allegiance, Five Subs, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Monday, November 1st in the year 2021. I'm doing well, all things considered. Uh And what I mean by that is I finally got a prediction right, but it's one I wish I had gotten wrong. You might recall at the end of our last podcast, you asked me about the Michigan-Michigan State football game. And I said close game, but I was leaning Michigan State. And sure enough, it played out that way. Your Michigan Wolverines, the Wolverines of Michigan, uh, went to East Lansing in the great state of Michigan uh, to take on the Spartans of Michigan State and were not victorious. They did not hail to the victor at all at the end of the game, right? Well, it's Michigan and it's a big game. So the only question was, how were we going to find a way to lose it? And the way it <laughs> happened was Michigan had a 30 to 14 lead mid third quarter, dominating the game up to that point, should have been up by more. Uh, and then imploded from that point forward, outscored 23-3 to in the last quarter and a half, and lost 37-33. Well, this obviously leads to Harbaugh out then, right? I mean, this is, this is, this is embarrassing <laughs> for him and for the Michigan family. Uh, so is, is that a possibility? Uh, we'll see how the rest of the season plays out. Although I will say, um, how about getting the Michigan State thing right first before worrying about Ohio State? A lot's been made this season of Michigan really emphasizing the Ohio State game and they practice every week for that game and there are signs all over the facility stressing the importance of that game. Jim Harbaugh has a losing record against Michigan State, so perhaps he should worry about getting that rivalry sorted first before worrying about, you know, the bigger one. So, I mean, obviously he is not, uh, well, I mean, to maybe some he would be considered an elite coach. Who would you... Who uh, who would uh, who would a parallel in the in the uh, soccer game be when it comes to a manager or a coach out there in terms of what Harbaugh has done, where he sits right now in, you know, the echelons of uh, of coaching? Is he elite? Well, I mean, his resume 
uh, up until Michigan was pretty elite because he had the rare college NFL combo. He did very well with the okay. 49ers in the NFL, which guys like Urban Meyer now are finding out it's, you know, success in college does not automatically uh, so it's translate a to... So you, can, you, you don't know anybody out there that you would equate? I mean, like, is he Pochettino level or, or that's too much? No, that, okay, that's fine. Okay. Pochettino. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. Oh, my God. I set you up with something like that. All right, listen. The, the Harbaugh's time in Michigan has had a little bit of Mourinho at Manchester United to it of this guy that was going to come and restore this okay. fallen giant, and he, and and he wasn't hasn't. quite able to do it. So, yeah. All right, well, I'm sorry for, uh, for your Wolverines. That means, that means they're not going to be in, the, uh, in that playoff, that tournament, that thing, uh, that Final Four thing. Uh, if if uh, it's still possible if we were to run the table and beat Ohio State, uh, but I find that to be highly unlikely. Right. Well, it's going to be okay, buddy. It's going to be all right. <laughs> um, what did you do this week? Did you watch anything interesting? Well, uh, Sunday night is now a fantastic television night for me with Succession and Curb. So watched both of those. Uh, last, last week night. you weren't. You, you, I mean, you were happy that Curb was back, but you didn't. You, you weren't over the moon in terms of how it started. Yeah, and and this episode I don't think was that great either but it's been just two solid play the hits kind of episodes you know you got to have the obligatory larry and Susie argument you, you bring leon in for a couple of funny scenes uh th this season hasn't really grabbed me okay. yet but it, it both episodes have been fine i mean i always enjoy watching that show well succession i love it the, the one criticism of the first two episodes of the season is that they felt more like episodes 11 and 12 uh, of season two rather than episodes one and two of season three. Mm -hmm. And people are kind of waiting for them to really establish this season more rather than it just being a continuation of storylines from, from the past season. And, and I think this episode three took some steps in that direction. So we'll see where it goes from here. I, I don't think this uh, Logan Kendall war can be the driving force for the entire third season. That, that, that needs to be resolved one way or another in the next couple of episodes. And then they need to introduce some new characters, new storylines and go from there. Cool. I had no idea what you're talking about. Um, okay. So I was driving into work today and I was talking to my mother and she wanted me to pass on uh, this. She was... She, she follows your advice on everything. She, she, for some reason, she believes that everything that you say is gold um, and that you are in, incredibly intelligent um, and, and the things that you that you like, she tends to like to. And like, I feel I think, a butt coming. Well, there's, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I think she she sees and views you. And I think rightly so that you are a man of the world. You're, you're a, a cosmopolitan type of person and um, you don't always go for just the fast food when it comes to what to watch. However, on your recommendation uh, when it comes to the Squid Game, and you know you were effusive about how it lived up and all that stuff, she she tried to watch the Squid Game. <laughs> it did not work out well for her. So, but I mean, you would admit uh, Squid Game is not for everybody. It's uh... it's definitely not for everybody, <laughs> and it certainly is not for my mother. She 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 did not. I, it's not that she didn't get the appeal. She understood it. It just it did not. Which is her, totally fine. With, with I, that, the, uh, that was not one of those where I really leaned into the recommendation. I, I made it clear that it, it was not for everybody. It's a very odd show. And right. you, you, some people can sort of get into that zone and others can. And that's totally right. I think, you know, when when it's in French, oftentimes, then you guys are good. So if you recommend something in French, then I, I think it's OK. Um, OK, so let's see what I watched here. Um, all right. So something called The Motive, and I think it's on Netflix. Uh, it's a multiple, you know, five part a five episode uh, documentary about this 1986 case of this 14 year old uh, in Israel who killed his entire family. And while uh, while the premise of it is incredibly interesting, there's no payoff. It's one of those things where there, there's no real 
culmination and, and solving. And, and that's not necessarily a problem, except when they're constantly teasing that there was another part of the reason, because obviously it's called motive and you're trying to find out why this happened. Um, so while it's interesting, I cannot recommend it because I think it, the fact that it is left unfinished hurts it and and doesn't mean that a documentary can be left without a, a a solving if you will but this one kind of sets you up for it and then never paid off and that was irritating to me uh number two uh more documentary stuff and this one hits literally <laughs> close to home um you know i grew up in uh, in michigan in the uh, in the 70s there's a documentary out there called children children of the snow about the oakland county child killer it's very morbid and, and horrible and if you want to go down that uh, rabbit hole uh, you certainly certainly can but it, it happened in the area that i was growing up and uh, it was a, it was a, a horrible thing but it, it still remains unsolved but it is it's fascinating and once you get down these like I said, these rabbit holes, you can't stop looking and, and uh, finding out more about what's going on because it was, uh, as I said, never solved. And then third, um, did you have you seen Dune? <sighs> what a piece of crap this is. Really? Because reviews have been glowing. I, I, I wanted to like it. Okay, so the original Dune, okay, original Dune film, I'm not talking about the book, but the, the original Dune film, um, I thought was a poor... Um, poorly produced, um, knockoff, uninteresting type of affair. <laughs> they evidently have followed suit and made yet another one that while I'm sure cost a ridiculous amount of money and has wonderful stars in it, I, I, it is so plodding and slow paced and irrelevant and uninteresting that, yeah, so I give it two thumbs down. It's getting good reviews. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's horrible. It's horrible. I kept waiting for it to start, and I'm two hours into the movie. <laughs> my 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 wife and I were watching it at different points, but obviously around the same time. And so, you know, she would have watched it at, at one point, and she, she she'd come down, and I'd see her, and you go, I, "Has it started for you? And has it started? Hasn't started for me? I don't know. Is is anything happening? Is anything supposed to happen?" So, thumbs down on on Doom, which I know is getting a lot of buzz, like you said. And I, I had higher expectations for it, especially when you have this, this template that, and I know people stand for, for uh, doing, that's fine. Go ahead, do, do your thing. But I just, I thought it could have been so much more because there is something there in the Dune story. And I, I guess from a film perspective, we have, we have in, my, in my humble opinion, we have yet to fully flush it out. So, you know, who knows, the next time around when, uh, when somebody does Dune, We'll figure it out. All right, Mossy, enough of this. Uh, you ready just to uh, light the candle? Let's do it. All right. Uh, as you know, each and every week, we start the pod off with Alexi Lawless's State of the Union. Yes, it's time for my State of the Union, where I look at a part of the game from an American perspective. And this week, it goes a little something like this. It's that time again, the MLS MVP discussion and disagreement. As MLS doesn't give us criteria, we get to make it up, and it's subjective. Now, some of you know that for many years, I've had my own strict, clear, and unapologetic criteria for picking my MLS MVP. A reminder, my criteria. Okay, number one, 
It's all about the goal scorers. Scoring a goal is the only way to win a game, so there is nothing and nobody more valuable than those who do it. Number two, it's not how many goals you score, but how many different games you score in. I value the player who is consistently scoring in more games, even if his season total might not give him the golden boot. Number three, I don't count penalties. They just don't hold the same value to me as other goals. I think penalties should actually be a separate statistical column because they can warp perception and skew assessment of a player. And number four, make the playoffs. Over half the league makes the playoffs. At the very least, a league MVP should be on a playoff team. So, as of today, Tuesday, my MVP list formula has Sporting KC's Daniel Shallowy in the lead with 14 Alexi MVP points and one game to play. Then we have a three-way tie for second, all with 13 Alexi MVP points, and that would be the Revolution's Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa, both with one game to play, and Real Salt Lake's Dimir Krylak with two games to play. So it's going to come down to this week to see who gets my vote. But I got a feeling that some of you may disagree with my approach. So, who is your MLS MVP and what's your criteria? All right, Mossy. So there is my State of the Union. And this uh, to you and to others that have listened to us for years is is nothing new. But there, you know, we have we talk about in television, we talk about time spent viewing and people coming in and out and people coming into the tent, the State of the Union tent for the first time. And so for, for, for many people listening, it will be the first that they have heard of this and heard of my criteria. It is longstanding, as I said, in the State of the Union. I've had this for years and years and years. And each year when I come out of it uh, and, and tell people, because you know, I want to be very upfront and honest, I have a vote. I have the link sitting right here in front of me. Uh, and I'll wait till the end of this week before I, uh, I submit that link for my vote for MVP. These are the criteria. If MLS wants to give me criteria and we can plug that into a formula, fine, we're done. We don't have to we don't have to worry about it. Uh, I will ask you again, as I do each and every year, am I crazy for this uh, this formula? Well, first off, I have a bone to pick with you. Go for it. I wanted to discuss this last week mm -hmm. and you said, let's hold off. But then you were all over Twitter discussing it with people. So I, I feel like it's that scene in the movie Airplane mm -hmm. where that woman is hysterical and everybody's taking turns trying to uh, slap her <laughs> you know, out of her hysteria. And I'm like the 20th person in line now. And um, Well, hold on, hold on. Here's your first mistake. Uh, you're equating uh, Twitter with the masses and everybody. And it's still a very small segment of the people out there that enjoy what we do here on the State of the Union. Okay. And so just because I say something on Twitter, I or you or we, we cannot assume that everybody has heard it. And by the way, if it's good, and I believe that this is good, you go right back to the well. All right. And as I said before, it, when it comes to time spent viewing people, I say this all the time. People, when we do uh, World Cups, we do tournaments, people that watch us constantly are they're watching hour after hour. They say, I heard you say that back in the other segment here and stuff like that. Well, it's good. And guess what? You are the very small uh, minority of people that are actually watching week after week or uh, hour after hour after hour. So I think that this if it bears repeating, and I think this does, I'm definitely going to do and uh, do it and play the hits, as they say. Well, look, in your defense, uh, most valuable is a nebulous term that sports fans have been grappling with since the beginning of time. Uh, number two, attacking players that contribute to goals do tend to win individual awards. So I think generally speaking, most people agree with you. Number three, the player you landed on based on your criteria, Shallowy, is a perfectly valid choice this season. I think he's up there, one of the top candidates on everybody's ballot. Um, but to be so unwavering in your criteria, not give yourself any wiggle room to say, well, maybe this guy scored in one fewer game, but he has much less talent around him, or maybe he scored in one fewer game, but he has many more assists than the other guy. It does seem like 
you don't want to have to put a lot of thought into this. You did years ago when you came up with the criteria. You sent it off to Paul Carr. He spits out a name every year, and that's it. Which means you could have hold not on, watched on, one on, second. Hold on, hold on. <laughs> you could have not watched one second of this MLS season. It would be just the same. <laughs> well, okay. For a couple of things. I have watched at least a couple of seconds of MLS this year. Number one. Number two. The, the Paul Carr part of this. Now, see, people are, are taking this as to I don't do any uh, any of this work for years and years. I have done this. It's it's like our thing every year. Paul and I and I do this. Uh, he he gets a kick out of it. He enjoys he enjoys doing it. And he obviously has the the formula and stuff like that. But I actually had a discrepancy with him this week that we were going back and back and forth with. And I might. I mean, I'm going to always defer to the great Paul Carr uh, for the, when it comes to uh, numbers like that. But I do plenty of work when oh, it no, comes no. to what this. I, what, I, what I mean by that, I mean, you're just looking up a stat and whoever that spits out, that's your winner. Right. It, no, you're not putting thought into it from a soccer analysis standpoint sure I am. watching the games. and Sure I am. If you look at the criteria and what they do, there's absolutely well, like years a and years ago when you first came up with the criteria. So you, if you it's perfect, if I if I hit on something that's <laughs> ideal and perfect, why the hell would I go and change that, Mossy? Interesting also how you disassociate the assist from the goal. Mm -hmm. um, if you think goals are the most valuable commodity, couldn't that line of thinking lead you to really value guys who rack up great assist numbers as well? Because, right, because if somebody up. dribbles through the entire team and puts the ball on the back of the net, okay? That is more valuable than somebody that dribbles through the entire team and then passes a ball that doesn't go in the back of the net. Does that make any sense to you or not? <laughs> no, sure. I mean, but um, well, well, why can't you understand that in my mind, putting the ball in the back of the net, the very thing that that is the most important thing in this sport is not more valuable than the pass. It can be a, a guiding philosophy, but not so unwavering in your criteria that you can't look at it but and say, what well, this so guy what also- what changes it? What, what changes it? Car like a lot of people are at Carlos uh, Heel, okay? For a lot of people, and I think he's probably gonna win MVP, all right? He's, he is the fan favorite. Uh, he, he is, I, I think right now, I'm not gonna win, I think he's gonna run away with it. Well, I was looking at it all throughout history. I don't know how many years back you came up with this, but how many it would have changed. And, and there are lots of guys where it was really the assist number that jumped out, going all the way back to the inaugural MVP, Carlos Valderrama in 96 had, I believe, four goals, 17 assists. And Echeverri in 98 had 10 goals, 19 assists. Scalotto in 2008 had seven goals, 19 assists. Even guys like uh, Jovinko and Valeri, who the years they won it, they scored a lot of goals. They also racked up a lot of assists, and that was part of you know their overall measuring their overall impact on the team. So you, you dismiss the assist stat entirely. Doesn't means nothing to you. I, this is where I can be convinced because somebody asked me this uh, the other day. What happens if it's all tied up, right? What what happens if we have what, you know what's the tiebreaker? And so it's not begrudgingly because it's not that I don't value assists, okay, but relative to goals. You know how I uh, come down on that. So maybe if there is a tie uh, between players after my quite my criteria are, are met, then maybe I can go to assist. But but here's the here's the problem with that because I have I have said how valuable goals are. Then wouldn't the logical way to to to, to decide the tiebreaker be if you have multiple goal games? Okay. Because somebody, somebody asked me on Twitter this uh, this week. And we've already established that, that that Twitter is the most important thing. Um, somebody asked me on Twitter that am I just completely dismissing 
those that score multiple goals in uh, in games. And that's that's not that's not the case at all, because I in my calculation, somebody could score five goals a game and they still only get one point in my calculation relative to somebody who scored one goal a game and scored. What I'm guarding for there is that five goals in one game and then six games without scoring a goal. And yet you're still up there in terms of the goal scoring race. So because because once again, I find it more valuable to have somebody score one goal in five games than to have somebody score five goals in one game. And, and we're only focusing on attacking players. Obviously, by your logic, a defender, a goalkeeper merits no consideration. Like no. Tony Miola winning it in 2000 is preposterous to you. It's not preposterous. I just never would have voted for him. Uh, at, at no point watching Liverpool the last few years, could you have made a case that Virgil van Dijk was the most valuable player on that team? Well, it's valuable, not the most valuable, no. Because no matter what he does, it's still 0-0. And the same is the, for the goalkeeper. No matter what he does, no matter what he or she, it, it, the feats of uh, acrobatic uh, prowess that, 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 they, that they show, uh, the way that they you know, save uh, you know, uh, shot after shot, it's still 0-0. Until that person does the most valuable thing, which is put the ball in the back of the net. Now, if the goalkeeper goes and does that, or if the uh, defender goes and does that, that's valuable. And I noticed Tony was not thrilled with your uh, get in line, get in line, Tony. I mean, <laughs> no, look, Tony, Tony was wonderful that year, and I, I was happy that he won. But you know, my, this is this is it. This is this is my criteria. Well, like I said, so the guy, what, so the guy you, you what, so how do you divide define value? All right, I asked the question on my State of the Union. I'm sure I'll get answers when you are picking out there. What is because we said it's subjective, so it's all individual. So what is your personal definition of what value is in that MVP, the most valuable player? Yeah, like I said, it's a nebulous term. So I just watch each season and there's a player that grabs me that I think, you know, like I would vote for Carlos Hill this season because I think he's the guy that makes that New England team tick. They've had this historically great season. He leads the league not only in assists, but key passes, chances created, all that jazz. And I really value playmaking. Uh, it's been the linchpin of my Messi over Ronaldo argument the last 15 years. I, I've, I've, I've said before, if Lionel Messi had not scored a single goal in the last 15 years, to me, he'd still be one of the great players of this generation because I value that much his passing and vision and playmaking ability. So uh, if I have a little bit of a bias, I do like that, that type of player, I'll admit. Yeah, I mean... We, we can play this all day where, you know, I don't know, um, uh, Atlanta United, Joseph Martinez, right? Was he the most valuable player for that team? And then you'll hear constantly people talk about, you know, who really made that uh, that uh, that team function? Darlington Nagby in the, in the midfield, you know, from coaches to players to, to fans. Oh, my God, he, he was great. But there's no chance in hell that anybody is is looking at that team and saying that Joseph Martinez isn't the MVP. I'll, I'll grant you people can get a little cute and hipstery with that oh, type yeah. of stuff. You know, it is. generally speaking, I do think the attacking players that are getting goals and assists are the most valuable that, you know, goals do win games. So, like I said, I, I'm in the same ballpark as you. I just think you're a little too unwavering in your. Criteria. I just think that if you are going to vote for this, whether you actually have a vote or whether you're just talking about it, you should be able to define what it is that makes you believe that that person is the most valuable other than just the eye test. I actually put it in writing. I actually have a list for people there and you're crapping on me for doing for doing that. But I actually am putting my money where my mouth is as opposed to saying, well, I don't know. He just he felt like the most valuable <laughs> player. Oh, I got a I got a tingle in my loins when I saw him play. And that's what it is. I mean, come on. Do people say loins anymore? I don't know. Um, 
All right. So anyway, uh, let us know, though, what you what you you feel is your MVP. Shallowy is number one right now. But right are, now? are there people nipping at his heels that depending on how things go the rest of the way? Well, if you listen to my State of the Union, Mossy, you would know that there's a three way tie for second place. The problem there is that uh, the two players that play for the revolution in Gustavo Bo and Adam Buxa only have one game to play now. Damir Krylock from RSL has two games to play, and he is in second place, too, tied there. So conceivably, he could win, okay? Otherwise, it's it's either going to be shallowy or it's going to be a tie. One last thing. You said as your criteria, making the playoffs. Yeah. That means a guy on a team that finished seventh in its conference, that, that holds the same value to you as finishing first in your conference. You make no distinction between how well uh, the team fared no. other than just making the playoffs. No, you got to make the playoffs. Okay. Right, but beyond that, there's no distinction between a guy on a team that finished first and a guy on a team that finished seventh. You just lump them in as well. No, they no, they no. both made the playoffs. No, because everybody knows this is the line. This is the demarcation, okay? Between good and bad, between success and, and failure. And so at the very least, all right, I am setting the bar pretty low when it comes to something like that, all right? I don't think it's too much to ask that my MVP for the freaking league actually be in the playoffs. No, I'm not arguing that, but I'm arguing that if, if we're debating between a guy on a team that finished first and a guy on a team that finished seventh, yes, they both made the playoffs, but certainly that should be factored in. And in, in your criteria, it's not like, the, well, you know, this this team was much more successful oh, than that I, team. I get so what you're saying. No, it doesn't care. doesn't matter. As long as you're in the playoffs, <laughs> uh, you, you ha- you've got to be in that in that show. And and then, I mean, because I can I can do I can argue all day long about the uh, the unbalance uh, and the inequities when it comes to. You know, who you play, where you're playing, who you're playing with, who, uh, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And then we just get into the weeds and stuff like that. So this makes it a whole lot, uh, a whole lot uh, easier for me. But I, I, I do take issue that that this this means that I'm not doing any work or this means that I'm just phoning it in simply because I have uh, this criteria. here. I actually would submit to you that this act, uh, that this is the way to go. And if you are calling in or, or tweeting uh, or uh, uh, sending us uh, any any type of response to this, I would expect expect, all right, that you do what I did. And if you want to make a list, go ahead, but at least formulate your, uh, your thoughts so that I understand what it is that you define as value out there. I think I don't, and I don't think that's too much to ask uh, when it comes to this. All right. Um, we are in the last week when it comes to major league soccer, we have decision day coming at the end of the week, right? You want to get into that? Well, hot off the presses, I've just received a text oh. message from our boss, Uh-oh. Zach Kenworthy. Okay, what's going um, on? So there's been a lot of uh, discussion in the office the last few weeks about what match we would choose to televise on Decision Day. Okay. A decision has been made. It will be Minnesota against the LA Galaxy, Ooh. which is the game John Strong was campaigning for. So John got his wish. Well, there. you know, you know, squeaky wheel and all, all that with, uh, with John. Okay, all right. That, that'll it's, be fun. Uh, it's actually the Galaxy hosting Minnesota Dignity Health yes. uh, Sports Park. All right. So so for people that uh, that maybe don't know, um, this is, as I said, the last week. Now, while it's the last weekend of games, there are games that are happening. We were recording this on a Monday. There's actually <laughs> games happening today, tomorrow, Wednesday, and then all games uh, are played within conference at the exact same time uh, on Sunday, right? Um, so Sunday, which is the decision day, right? So... Eastern Conference is done by our friends over there at uh, ESPN. That will uh, kick off at 3.30 Eastern Standard Time. And then the Western Conference, which is what we are going to do on Fox, that kicks off at 6 p.m. Eastern uh, Standard Time. And so while we are broadcasting the LA Galaxy versus Minnesota game, there is also the recognition that there are other games going on. And with each goal and obviously with each result, things can change. And we will show that to you. We will hop around to the different games. We will show you the goals. We will show you how the standings are 
are changing uh, in real time because there is everything to play for in both of these conferences uh, right now. And it, and it even changed over the uh, over the weekend where you had you had teams like uh, the Red Bulls who were out of the playoff uh, and now they're back into the playoff after getting a goal last minute. Uh, in their game this weekend, you got DC United, which is in in free fall right now and is under the uh, under the line. You got the Columbus Crew, which keep in mind this is the MLS Cup defending Columbus Crew. If they don't make the playoffs, as we said before, it, it is absolutely a failure, and it will bring up uh, the asterisk question and debate when it comes to them winning last year in that pandemic year as to whether it is legit. Now, they're not going to care what I say. All right. And but it is it, it, it is a a massive fall from grace. However, I say that they're at 44 points. They're two points behind um, behind the New York Red Bulls who have two games to play as opposed to Columbus, which has one game to play. So there is still a chance when it comes to Columbus that they could sneak in, but they would need uh, the New York Red Bulls. They would have to win and they would need the New York Red Bulls to lose uh, both of their games. What do you want to hit? Well, I find it pretty unlikely that either DC or Columbus will make it because of only having one game left. The team that's on the outside looking that I'm looking at right now is Montreal because they have... Uh, two games left, one at home against Houston, which they should win, and then decision day, they host Orlando. That could end up being a massive game. Orlando are furious right now because they could have wrapped it up this weekend. 1-1 draw against Nashville in which they scored what they thought was a late winner, controversially ruled out by VAR. Oscar Pareja, very unhappy after the game. Did you did you see that goal? Uh, I did. Did you think that the... Tough call. It's... Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I What I think that they're saying is that Daryl DK fouled in... In route to that whole melee that ultimately <laughs> led to the, the ball in the back of the net. And and look, I know people are going to scream and yell. And was it clear and obvious or not? If, if the call is made through VAR, then somebody, some human being in that room believes that it is clear and obvious, uh, e- either to confirm the call or it was clear and obvious that the call was missed. Atlanta is the other team, by the way, that has to be kicking itself because uh, they faced uh, already eliminated Toronto this weekend. They had a 1-0 lead late, surrendered an equalizer in a game where they should have been comfortably ahead. They were very wasteful. And so they still have work to do now. I think they'll make it. But uh, NYCFC, we should say, they wrapped up a berth with a 3-1 win over Inter-Miami. That's a team that had a weird wobble there and, and at one point actually dropped out of the playoffs. But... Uh, they've righted the ship. They they are one of the best teams in the league. So to me, they've ended up where they they should have been all along, and they could finish as high as second in the East. They face Philadelphia on decision day. Philadelphia, by the way, who are second right now. Jim Curtin, once again, <laughs> unbelievable job yep. to get to the semifinals of CCL that went farther than any other MLS team, and be right up there in the, near the top of the East with losing the guys losing they lost, players, yep. and and so reinventing it again. They're getting you know he's betting in these youngsters like Paxton Aronson. Uh, and so, I mean, just terrific job by him once again. All right. Well, listen, all of these games are going to happen. I, I, I want to talk about a couple of things, though. Uh, first, I want to circle back to because I think it's going to be when we're voting for all of these things, uh, including goal of the year. There was a, a there were a couple of great goals this uh, this past week, including uh, including up in Seattle with Aspria's uh, uh, goal there, which is reminiscent of uh, the great Zlatan Ibrahimovic, which. I think is is one of the reasons why it played so well. Even if even if it didn't, it would it would certainly be a highlight here, as we as we check it out to have the 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 skill and the wherewithal and the knowledge and to be able to do all of those different uh, calcul- calculations as this ball as he's backwards to flip it up to himself and then to bike it and to have it go in. 
Phenomenal goal. Uh, yeah, a phenomenal the, the goal. Goalkeeper and it didn't cover himself in glory on that play, but still, I agree with you. He did. It was shades of Zlatan against England, that yes. friendly for Sweden, a phenomenal. Now, there will be people that will say that that was not necessarily the best goal of the week because uh, Zellerion from Columbus just hit an absolute scorcher in the upper 90. And this is where you get into hipster type of thinking and, you know, does the bike shade uh, and skew everything uh, because he did it as opposed to somebody that's hitting something just so sweet that is going to uh, upper 90. And maybe we get back to the loins question if it uh, <laughs> if, if it uh, if it tickles you in the, in that way. But I wanted to mention uh, mention that. Anything on this, Mossy? Uh, I prefer the bike only because you know we do that AT and T goal of the week, and almost every week it's this long distance blast. So I, when when you can give it to a different kind of goal like that, I I, I prefer to go that way with it. Should we do a little ode to uh, the New England Revolution uh, before we finish up uh, some MLS stuff here? Absolutely. Okay. So, so congratulations to the New England Revolution and to Bruce Arena and to uh, Kurt Onolfo for making history. Uh, the most points ever in a regular season for an MLS team. Uh, they broke the LAFC record from uh, 2019, and it's been broken a bunch of times over the last couple of years, which will bring people uh, into the, the conversation discussion as to is it fair, is it not? We know it's an unbalanced schedule and all that kind of stuff, but ultimately you you you, you play what is in, in front of you. And we can certainly have those types of discussion, but that it is New England um, and that Bruce Arena has come in and turned around this team in terms of the results, uh, you know, Bruce is doing what Bruce has done. Nobody's ever going to forget that he didn't qualify the team for the World Cup. We get that's all part of the resume. But I don't think anybody is going to question that Bruce Arena um, has been and continues to be a, a legend and an incredible manager of soccer players, uh, regardless of what level or in what type uh, of situation. I, I, I will say this because I want to I want to read Bruce's quote. Uh, and we know that Bruce is Bruce for a reason. It's why we love him and why people at times hate him. But uh, he doesn't suffer fools. He says what's on his mind. He has been around long enough. He has made enough FU money to basically not care what anybody thinks. Uh, and he will let you know whether you are a fan, whether you are a player, whether you are a coach, and certainly whether you are in the media. Uh, in the media. Uh, so in his, in his post-game press conference, Bruce said, quote, it's kind of remarkable. I said to the team, what a shit show I inherited in May of 2019. To think how far they've come is kind of remarkable. It really is. Now, this is classic Bruce Arena, and, and that's kind of what I want from Bruce Arena. I don't want a humble, contrite, dare I say it, respectful Bruce Arena. But it is a little revisionist, okay, uh, when it comes to New England Revolution. Yes, he has brought in some players, but he also inherited a lot of players that are on the field that are starting. Now, he had to make them play better, but was it really such a, such a shit show in, uh, in the New England Revolution when all of these players were actually there? Maybe from a, a managerial perspective, but from an organizational perspective in terms of, of what they had and what, uh, what they did, the, the bones were certainly there. So this isn't a mass clear-out type of situation when it comes to, uh, to Bruce Serena. And so... While I while I love it because it's fodder for me and it's and it's typical Bruce when he says this kind of stuff. It, it, like I said, it's a little BS. Uh, shout out to our former Fox Sports colleague Brad Friedel. I wonder how that quote. Uh, right, exactly. Well, I mean, look, Brad was in charge of of managing those those players that were there, and you are only as good as what you can get out of them. And in that sense, he certainly he certainly failed, but you know he he brought in the players, and who knows? Maybe Brad's a, a better assessor of talent than a leader of that talent when it comes uh, when it comes down to it. 
our, our producer, Luis Aguilar, is absent today. I'm not sure why. but um, <laughs> I'm sure it's very important. I, I still want to make fun of him for okay, something. Okay, good. He, he put in this rundown, Iguain announces his retirement. Give some thoughts on Iguain's great career and his time with Inter-Miami. I 100% think that he thinks it's Gonzalo Higuain who's retiring, <laughs> when in fact it's Federico. Uh, hey, you know what? As long as there's an Higuain retiring, it's, it's a story. Uh, which on Federico, uh, terrific MLS career. He's been here since 2012, a key player on that Columbus side mm-hmm. that reached MLS Cup in 2015, lost to Portland. Uh, so, you know, n- nothing bad to say about him. But the, the one funny part of the story was he wants to get into coaching and supposedly he's been sitting in on the coaching meetings with Phil Neville. So what better guy to learn from? Huh? <laughs> Where do you think he, he, he ranks in the, uh, in the lore of, um, not, not MLS, but, but in terms of Columbus, they've had a, had a lot of good players over there because I, while he is, he was incredible and it was important. I'm not sure how high he ranks over there. So, you know, this, this, this celebration for him, it's, for, you know, for a long career and consistency when it came, especially when it came to what he did in Columbus. It's interesting that whenever Columbus do get to MLS Cup, there's always an Argentinian playmaker mm-hmm. involved, whether it's Skeloto in 2008, Federico in 2015, and Zella Ryan in 2020, although I have to put Argentinian in quotes with him because he is now, in fact, Armenian. I don't know if you follow that story. Is that who he's going to play for? He's going to play for Armenia, yeah. Wow. All right. <laughs> Armenia is, is the beneficiary of, I mean, he's a great player. Gosh, well, I'd, I'd want him on my national team regardless. Of, um, okay. Uh, anything else from an MLS perspective, Mossy? Well, I mean, just uh, on the Western Conference. Okay. So, tremendous battle at the top. You've got SKC, Seattle, and Colorado, each with 58 points. Although, Colorado has played one more game and they have one fewer win. So, it's really hard to envision them finishing first. It's really between SKC and Seattle. Um, and, and by the way, those three are the only three that have clinched playoff berths. So, four down. It's still very up in the air. And as you mentioned, we're taping this Monday morning. Tonight, uh, Seattle hosts the Galaxy. And then tomorrow night, LAFC hosts Vancouver. So two massive games there. And then decision day, you've got Vancouver facing Seattle. You've got, as we mentioned, the game on our air, Galaxy, Minnesota. So it's all happening in the West. There's a, I mean, a lot of intrigue Between there. four and nine, it's five points separate. So all sorts of craziness is going to happen. And by the way, Salt Lake's, uh, Real Salt Lake, they, they shit the bed uh, against uh um, San, Jose San Jose at home. That that was a huge, huge loss because they had games in hand. It's a home game. It's against a team that's out of the playoffs. And they were all over them early and they let San Jose come back in. And, and by the way, speaking of, of goals, goals of the year, but uh, uh, what's his name? K. Cal. Uh, what a goal. What a goal. He was it was really, really fun to see him do something like that. And Wondolowski uh, continues to score goals. Yeah. And conversely, I agree with the RSL. That's a inexcusable defeat uh minnesota with a clutch win over skc two to one uh which moved them above the playoff line they have only one game left which is that galaxy game on decision day although they might have lost reynoso to injury and so we'll see what his status is where he hurt himself on his panenka or what what happened <laughs> so for those that didn't see it he uh he he did right down the middle just chipped it up i mean that is that's some uh you know what <laughs> so uh and uh but i loved it i loved it so yeah i mean the loons could miss out on the playoffs and look you know, there are teams that that recognized that they were going to be fighting for that playoff spot. I do not think that the, the that Minnesota was one of them. I think with the talent that they have, they had much higher expectations. And I don't think that those were misplaced. So I think that if they squeak in, fine. OK, but I don't think that they expected to be fighting in this way for that uh, for that playoffs uh, spot. And if they don't make it, um, you know, I mean, I, I 
I think that that's a real problem. I think that's a real problem for uh, for Adrian Adrian Heath, given the opportunities that they had and the points that they ultimately uh, blew. Um, okay, anything else, Mossy? So last, last thing, uh, CCL final we televised yep. this past week, All-Mexican Affair. It was the ninth All-Mexican uh, final in the 13 editions of the CONCACAF Champions League under this you know iteration of it. Um, and Monterrey uh, defeated America 1-0 on a goal by Rogelio Funes Mori. Controversial. There was a bit of a tricky offsides uh, uh, rule interpretation there. Awful mistake by Sebastian Casades, the America defender. Uh, so they take it. Uh, it's their fifth title since 2011. Their arch rivals Tigres won it last year. So Monterrey answered by winning this one. Uh, so now they go off to the Club World Cup. Uh, where the the other team we know is in that is Chelsea, of mm -hmm. course. We're still waiting for some of the other spots to be filled, including the South American team, which, uh, again, Flamengo and Palmeiras in the Libertadores finals would be one of those. Uh, but so, big picture, if you take it back to the previous iteration of this competition, it's 16 straight years now that a Mexican club has won it. So, from an MLS perspective, that's obviously a streak that MLS wants to <laughs> put a stop to. Uh, so when was the last time that an MLS team won it? What, what year would that be? Uh, that would be the LA Galaxy in 2000. Really? The reason I ask that is my, um, my wife and I were cleaning out a, uh, um, a bunch of clothing <laughs> and we found this big jacket and that tournament that happened, it happened in January and even it's cold here and it happened here in Los Angeles and um, it was a different format than it is right now, but we reached into a pocket of one of these jackets and she pulled out an actual ticket from that tournament um, that we had played in pristine condition, even this 20 years later or, or so. All right, that, you know, that sucks that, uh, first off, it sucks that there wasn't an MLS team in the final. And then that we just continue this futility when it comes to being champions of content. And that was Ziggy Schmidt when you won it in 2000, yep, correct? Absolutely. Which I forgot to mention this before, but in the same game where New England set the points record, they beat Colorado 1-0. Bruce Arena tied Ziggy Schmidt for the all-time MLS uh, regular season wins mark. He can break that on decision day against Inter-Miami. If not, he'll break it early next season. Uh, but so. Got it. Got it. Late, well. great Ziggy Schmidt. What a what a, what a, what a fun dude uh, and just an incredible mind. And uh and we miss him. All right, uh, Mossy, anything else? All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, we'll take a trip around Europe because there was all sorts of stuff that was going on. Don't go away. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, Right now, you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Okay, we are back, and it's time for our uh, trip around uh, Europe because there was stuff that was going on. Where do you want to start, Moss? You want to start in England? Let's start in England because, because we don't this bury the lead, right? United story has been red hot, <laughs> and it's interesting. We go into a game focusing on the job status of the Manchester United manager, uh, and they win, and it ends up resulting in the other coach getting sacked. Uh, Somebody had to be sacked, right? Yeah, I mean, beat, it was they beat Tottenham three 0 and Nuno Espirito Santo was was fired. Um, and it looks like Antonio Conti will be taking over, which is interesting because uh, Spurs, they had this very awkward uh, 
coaching search this past offseason. Nuno Espirito Santo was like the ninth choice, ended up getting the job. Uh, but you, you kind of felt like Conti was the guy they wanted, and they couldn't come to an agreement with him because he wanted total power. He wanted them to spend money. He wants to be able to compete for trophies. And he wasn't convinced by the project they offered him. And now they circled back and said, well, how about now? And he said, sure, I'll take over. And so that's what prompted the sacking because they, they, they want to make sure they get Conti because Conti's also been mentioned as the favorite if Manchester United were to get rid of Solskjaer. Right. So they wanted to make this move now to make get sure they now, got right? the guy. Might not be so it looks like Conti is headed to Tottenham while Solskjaer lives to fight another day at Manchester is, United. Is this unfair to Nuno? It is just because, like I said, the circumstances of his arrival already cast a, a, a dark cloud over it. So, you know, you, you give him only 17 games. That's a little rough. I will say they, they, they won their first three Premier League games, including a win over Manchester City. They've been absolutely disastrous since. So it's not uh, it's not too unfair. He's, but, you know, under if it's a coach you hired with a lot of conviction that was your, your first choice, I think you would have given him a little bit longer. There was already this sense of, well, you know, he's just kind of there. They, he's not the coach they wanted. So really, that, oh, then, that's that sucks for anybody to be in that <laughs> position where you're like, eh, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> and, and, and Harry Kane, I mean, only only one Premier League goal this season. And, you know, I saw a tweet today, you know, if, if Harry Kane really wants to get out of Tottenham, the best way would be to be hired as their manager. Right. <laughs> because the they keep changing coaches. It really, since reaching that Champions League final, that club has been a disaster how, how backwards they've gone. The decision to get rid of Pochettino when they did, you bring in Mourinho, which felt kind of strange. Then you get rid of Mourinho. And as I mentioned, very messy coaching search this summer. You end up with Spirito Santo. They are going to land on a guy, Conte, who I really like. But I wonder if any of the issues this summer have really been resolved. I mean, he's still going to want all the power and he's going to want him to spend money. And, you know, he could be a pain in the ass. And now you got to have... He's got to deal with Daniel Levy, who can be difficult to deal with. So I don't know if it's a great fit, but they, they are getting, in my view, a top manager if they if they hire Conte. Well, well, if they're doing that, isn't isn't the whole point that he can do better with what they have than the other person? Because it's not as if there's going to be massive change. Which I think he can, but if it, if his better is not quite better enough to challenge for major trophies, I could see him getting tired of that and saying, wait a minute, I'm, I'm about winning major trophies. And so it, it, him leaving after a year or two. And we should mention the Solskjaer part of this to his credit he made a formation tweak mm -hmm. they went with three at the back with Varane Lindelof and Maguire and two up top with uh, Cavani and Ronaldo and, and Bruno Fernandes playing behind them and it worked we'll see if this is the way forward or you know if it works against other kinds of opponents but for one day at least Solskjaer ended up looking good and you know we talked about this Ronaldo conundrum because I, I do think he's become a player that takes some stuff off the table but there are days like this when you think are, are we overthinking this I mean the guy scores a phenomenal well, goal why do you and need then, a day like this to, to say oh I may be overthinking <laughs> It. It's freaking Cristiano Ronaldo. This and is this is insane. Did you see the goal that he scored? Beautiful okay. goal. Everyone was like, "Oh, the ball is great." It was. Like, I mean, it's, it's it's a good ball, but in that moment to see that ball coming over your shoulder, all right, and to do all of those calculations and to hit it and to hit it so pure and sweet and clean, right back in the exact place that you need to to do it. That. That is world class, okay? That that is what you pay for, and guess what? That is what you get for him. And then he followed it up, and I know my stance on assists, but still, he followed it up with a sublime assist to Cavani. Yeah, you beat me to the punch on that. I was gonna mock. You I know you were gonna mock. Oh, my system whatever, right? Uh, but yeah, so he gets a great goal, lovely assist to Cavani for the second. Rashford gets the third. So nice win for United there. As we mentioned, their schedule is brutal. So bigger challenges ahead, and we'll see if Solskjaer. You know, there's a world in which they end up sacking Solskjaer in a couple of weeks. And all of a sudden, Antonio Conte isn't available anymore because Tottenham swooped in, right? Swooped in for him, and so we'll see how this plays out. But, uh, but you know. it, it, so 
Was it that Manchester United was that much better and therefore he gets the credit for not only making changes in terms of formation, but also making changes in person uh, in terms of uh, personnel. And by the way, starting a very old team. So this wasn't about I'm going to go with youth and it's a young man's game and all that kind of stuff. I mean, he went to the tested. He went to the um, to, he hedged his bets, shall we say, and, and, and it paid off for him. Or is it that Spurs are just bad? So, I mean, this this doesn't change anything in terms of how people view Solskjaer, does it? No, not really. And keep in mind, Pogba was suspended for this game, so he didn't have to worry about fitting him in. I don't think there's room for Paul Pogba in this formation we saw this weekend. So he still has to deal with that grenade of figuring out you know, how to... So somebody that doesn't think that Solskjaer is the right person for the job has not changed their mind after this best result. No, it's just they're a really talented team that they're going to have days when you have guys like Cristiano Ronaldo and Bruno Fernandes out so there. So then that days. person should have wanted this team to lose, right? Uh, I saw a lot of United fans on Twitter. They were conflicted about this result. Yeah, so Don't be conflicted. <laughs> be human. That's exactly what you want to happen. It makes complete sense. If you think that there's somebody else better out there that can do better and that he is not the man for the job for whatever reason, it could be a million different reasons, whatever it is, then of course you want your team to lose because if, if winning means that that change is not going to happen, then you're never going to get what you want. Ugh. All right. Anyway, um, so uh, it was a good weekend for United because they won uh, Manchester City uh, loss at home to Crystal Palace. Liverpool, pretty shocking result, threw away a two goal lead at home yeah. to Brighton. Um, Chelsea did uh, win. They beat Newcastle 3 0. So uh, they're, they've now opened up a three point lead at the top of the table. The other team that's coming on strong is Arsenal. Don't look now, but the, the first game of the weekend, 2 0 went away to Leicester. I know Ramsdale kind of stood in his head, and so it wasn't some great defensive performance. The goal What did you think about the save? Bailed him out. Oh, terrific. One of the greatest you've ever seen. I mean, I think, uh, what was it? Uh, Schmeichel said. You, th- you thought that was a bit much. No, I didn't. I think I thought it was, it was, it was great. And when, when I watched it in replay, yeah, I mean, he stretched out and he, and he got to it and yeah. did what a goalkeeper should do. Save the ball, right? Uh, so, you know, there, there are snow coming on all of a sudden. You know, that's, that's an example that I guess Solskjaer supporters can point to of, you know, sticking by Arteta and, and now yeah. maybe they've turned the corner. They've turned so. the corner. Uh, Klopp, after the, uh, the game, wh- where you said, I mean, they, they, they went up. And they went on cruise control uh, so much. I mean, it was the it was the tortoise and the hare type of uh, fable right there in that they went up, they got a huge lead. They just started, you know, thinking everything uh, was great. And then they let him back into the game. Club after the game said, quote, I knew it would be a difficult game. Well, if you knew it was going to be a difficult game, okay, then you should have prepared your team better because obviously they weren't prepared for that uh, for that team to go up. And uh, and I get it. You know, you're you're flying, you know, it's a a smoke and a coffee and all that kind of stuff. But isn't that where you want the players on the field that are able to look at each other and say, no, we're not resting on our laurels. I don't care how many games we've we've won. I don't care how much money we make, how famous we are, uh, all the praise that, that we have. What makes us great is because we will put our our hand down. We won't let anybody get up. We won't let them back into the game. And they didn't do that. And that's on not just the players, but that's on the coach. There you go. Pop out, right? <laughs> That's not uh, <laughs> Well, uh, if you want to transition to Spain, we do have well, one, one more thing, though, before we get before we go. The Zaha goal uh, in the Manchester United game, and we're looking at this, obviously, from a, a U.S. perspective. City. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, but, uh, well, against uh, Man City. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, did you think Ederson should have saved it? Yeah. I mean, I, I've always been, it's weird as a Brazilian, I've always been like, 
not quite as high on Ederson as others. Uh, he's wonderful with his feet. He plays the most gorgeous passes you'll ever see a goalkeeper play. But I think he can be a little bit shaky as a shot stopper, which is why I always say when Allison is in form, I prefer him starting for Brazil over Ederson. I know you're looking at it from a Stefan perspective. Uh, yeah, Ederson, to me, he could have done better there. No, he should have saved. Not could have done better. He should have saved that ball. That is a scuffed shot that was going two miles an hour into the far corner. And the I... I thought that that was horrible goalkeeping, <laughs> absolutely horrible goalkeeping. And I think, you know, in watching the uh, the way it was covered, I think that they let him off the hook. I mean, th th this was this was one oh one type of stuff. Now, and I'm not just saying that because I'm saying Zach Steffen should have been in there. But to your point, you know, this is one of the, the goalkeepers that we hold up on a pedestal. And this gets back to the point. What what is that trade off? OK, yes, you want. You want your goalkeeper to be incredible with his feet and you also want him to make the saves. But you're not always going always going to get that here. So in that instance, I would rather that goalkeeper kick the ball 60 yards up the field and save that freaking shot, okay? Then to be able to ping balls here, ping balls here and then let a soft goal in like that. Anyway, I, I thought uh, I thought we let him off uh, the hook. There. I'm not saying he's not a, a great goalkeeper, but anyway. Uh, where do you want to go to now? So we'll go to, from Pep's current team to his former team, Barcelona. Okay. Uh, they made uh, coaching news last week, finally putting Ronald Koeman out of his misery. Uh, it's going to be Xavi who's going to take over. He just has to extricate himself from his Qatari club, which, by the way, is not easy because those Qataris, they, they drive a hard bargain. They're, I've talked about PSG being a golden prison and how much they make it difficult for players to leave there. So there, there's some issues here getting Xavi out of his contract, but they will, and he'll take over at Barcelona. And listen, the past couple of years, it's just been a question of whenever Xavi was ready, he was going to take over. The, the last couple of managers, Kiki Setien and Ronald Koeman, were basically placeholders. And so I guess now Xavi finally has determined that he's ready, and so he's going to well, no, no, no. Is, is he ready or is it just they had to make a change here? And so whether you're ready or not, you're going in because he well, might not be ready. No, I, I, but it's, it, the ball's been on his court. I mean, it, he, no, but he, he didn't facilitate this, though. Well, but I, I think before getting rid of Koyman, they probably circled back to Xavi and said, if we got rid of Koyman, would you be ready now? And he perhaps said yes. What's he going to so, say? Just, <laughs> nah, nah, it's nah, funny, nah. you know. There's all this focus on Xavi's connection to the club. You forget Ronald Koeman is a club legend too yes. there. He scored the winning goal in their first European Cup triumph against Sampdoria at Wembley, that great free kick in 92. And the way he was treated here wasn't great by Laporta. So I feel sorry for him. You know, he has to really regret his decision because he was coaching the Netherlands and doing a great job there. And, you know, he leaves to take over Barcelona when they still had Messi. And I'm sure he felt that's still like a prime job. And then everything that's happened since then, he was kind of left holding the bag here. It really impossible situation when we talk about barcelona nowadays okay everybody i hear talk about him says that this is not your father's barcelona this is a a, a you know a shell of their former selves in terms of the actual talent that they have so what makes you think that xavi is going to do anything different with uh, with the talent that they have just because he was this incredible great player is it is it not a is it not relative to the talent that they have or the lack of talent i guess that they have i mean who's your who's your big star for barcelona right now memphis Depay? what is that is that is that is that i mean what are we at now yeah and ansu fati and pedri when they get healthy they're Come on. Come but yeah, on. no, it's it's a rebuilding job. The best thing they can do, you still see Barcelona linked to some players this summer and this notion that they're going to go out there and sign guys that are worth 40, 50 million euros. That's the last thing they need to be doing right now. Just accept the, look, you've given your fans incredible last 15 years, won, what is it, 10 La Liga titles, 
four Champions League titles. They've gotten to see Ronaldinho at his peak, Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Suarez, Neymar, etc. I think Barcelona, they would be rather spoiled if they can't live with a two or three year rebuilding plan here. So Barcelona need to accept that that's where they're at. They bring in a young manager in Xavi who's going to have a little bit of a learning curve. And that that, that needs to be the mindset, not that Xavi is going to come and rescue this season, because to your point, no manager with this team is going to win anything. So I mean, they're sitting in ninth right now, right? Right in the, I mean, wow, look at that. You don't, you don't see that very often. Down there. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all right. What about uh, Real well, Madrid? So they beat Elche 2 1, uh, both goals by Vinicius Jr. It is Vinicius Jr. mania in Madrid. Vinny. And Vinny, Vinny and this comes on the heels of Chichi leaving him out of uh, Brazil's national team squad. So this was the big conversation in my world the last few days. Uh, but, you know, it, it sort of plays into your whole form is fallacy uh, deal because. Uh, I love Vinicius Jr. I think all the excitement is warranted. He should be in the in the squad. It, you know, there's no limit in how many players you can call up for these qualifiers. So Chichi should keep calling him up just to have him keep him in the mix. He's a young player with so much potential and keep working with him. But there is an issue finding a spot for him on the field. It's funny with Brazil. We came out of the Copa America. Brazilian fans did really depressed, feeling like Neymar didn't have any help. And now the emergence of Rafinha and Anthony and Vinicius. All of a sudden, you have more talent than they, he knows what to do with. And, you know, there are all these fans on Twitter who think this is like fantasy and, and with no regard for tactics, trying to fit as many of those players in and posting these lineups where it would leave Brazil completely unbalanced and, and outnumbered in the midfield. And so I actually think there is a legitimate issue with finding a place for Vinicius in the starting 11, but he should still be in the squad. Uh, he's, you know, he's you lose credibility as a coach if you don't call up a guy that's that's doing what he's doing at club level and has so much upside and he's just a great weapon to have on the bench even if he doesn't start so i mean i i share the recriminations of chichi but i thought of you because it's a lot of this you know form is fallacies everybody based on his club form thinks it's ludicrous he's not on the team while there are some legitimate team fit tactical issues of why i'm not sure you lose credibility unless it goes south and therefore you give people an opening and something to point to as well if this person was here and we all know that's not necessarily necessarily the, not necessarily the case but you know to your point it is it is a little it is a little strange unless he is because there could be two things one he just doesn't believe that he fits in with the players that we have and that is completely fair and legitimate uh you know coaching uh practice and i know it irritates people but it could be fair the other thing is i mean he could be sending him a message either directly and he's talked to him and said this is what i need you to do and this is why i'm not doing it and either smoothing it out or you know poking him with the stick and saying you get your act together uh and maybe this is him showing that his his act is together well and then to add insult to injury he calls up coutinho which i knew he would because coutinho is an old favorite of his and he wants to get a look at him up close away from that dysfunction at barcelona to see if there's anything salvageable there. I don't think there is. I think Coutinho is is finished as a player. Uh, but I, I don't, it, it's not the end of the world. Uh, Brazil have virtually qualified. They're basically treating these right. qualifiers like like glorified friendly. So if he wants to call up Coutinho once just to get a look at him, and if, if it's if he verifies that he's not salvageable, then forget it, move on. But it just in the context of Vinicius not getting called up. Everybody held their stats side by side. They play in the same league, one for Barcelona, one for Real Madrid. And it seems insane that you look at one guy's numbers and the other guys and that this guy's on the team, that one isn't. So, uh, yeah, I mean, so. <laughs> All right, anything else uh, La Liga-wise? No, I mean, Atletico had a nice win over Betis. So uh, at the top of the table, so a lot of teams bunched together. You got Sociedad on top, Real Madrid, uh, Sevilla, Atletico, all within a couple points of each other. So La Liga right now, pretty fun at the top. All right, and uh, our Stu Holden's uh, Mallorca just sitting pretty in the middle there. They'll take that, although yep. they keep they keep giving up leads and points and stuff like that. I know he's 
irritated often in the weekend with uh, with what's going on there. But be happy that you're not in the relegation zone. Should we go to uh, Syria? Let's do it. Okay, what do we got here? Uh, well, Juventus uh, continuing to struggle. They lose. Good news, bad news for uh, for Americans. Uh, they lose, yeah, 2-1 to Verona. Uh, both goals by Diego Simeone's son, Giovanni Simeone, who last weekend scored four goals against Lazio. He comes back with two against Juventus. So he's blossoming into a star there. You know, we focus so much on Venezia because of the Americans, but the other team in that region, Verona, doing interesting things after a rough start to the season where they sacked their manager. That, by the way, is the home of Romeo and Juliet, uh, Verona. And, and they're, right now they're in love with Giovanni Simeone. Great movie. Yep, but, go ahead. Uh, but uh, for Juventus, uh, this loss leaves them 16 points off the top. So I, I feel pretty confident in saying that Juventus for the second straight season are not going to win Serie A, which is amazing after winning nine in a row. Um, and But you know, Wes and McKinney, I said it was 2-1. They were down 2-0. Wes and McKinney came off the bench and scored to make it 2-1. Second straight game with a goal for him. And Fox Soccer tweeted this out. He's now up to six Serie A goals. That's as many as all the other U.S. internationals combined who have played there. That includes you. So are you, you know proud that you paved the way for the Wesson McKinney's or are you resentful that he's doing so much better than you did knowing the type of person you are I imagine it's a second thing, right? <laughs> no I'm, I'm I am incredibly proud that any American gets the opportunity to go there because as you said it's limited and I love the fact that there are more opportunities and there are more pathways you know that it has to do with oftentimes uh either American ownership or a desire to have an American on the field. I don't care. I don't care how you get there. Uh, just get there. And when they do and they are playing, as we are seeing now, um, it's great. It, uh, it, it, it warms my, 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 the cockles of my redheaded heart. Uh, and I, I, I remain incredibly proud of what they are, what they are all doing. And to see Weston McKinney score goals. Now he's, he's playing for Juventus. And, and it's interesting to see the way the narrative has changed now because there was a time a month or so ago where it was Weston McKinney is being used as, you know, possibly he's going to be going someplace else and all that kind of stuff. Right now, I mean, he's, he's, a, <laughs> he's, he's one of their stars, if you will. I was worried about that. I mentioned on this podcast going into the season, the new coach, Allegri. I'm not sure. I'm worried that McKinney might fall down the pecking order. But no, he remains a key player there, gets on the field a lot. And, and when he does, he, he's doing pretty well. So yeah, I mean, credit to him. Even with a new coach coming in, he's still showing that he belongs. So uh, so where do you think? I mean, we talked about uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, so they can't do it with him and now they can't do it without him. Is that how, how it goes? Yeah. All the, we're going to be better off without Ronaldo stuff is, is ringing pretty hollow right now uh, with what they're doing. So, yeah. What do you think is happening over there at, uh, at Juventus behind the scenes? Anything, anything you can glean? Um, just, just one of those moments. Yeah. Refreshes, I mean, rebuilds. Yeah. I mean, there's a little bit of a Barcelona dynamic there too, of just, you know, certain players getting old and, and some younger players not stepping up and just the, being a weird mix. And, and yeah, so it looks like it's going to be a second straight disappointing campaign for them. Uh, the other big game in Serie A we should mention is AC Milan beat Jose Mourinho's Roma 2-1, Zlatan with a great goal in that one. So you've got, Serie A table is a little weird because you've got uh, Napoli and Milan tied at the top level on points. Napoli beat Salernitana 1-0. Uh, so both those teams are flying. 10 wins, one draw in 11 games. Then seven points behind them is Inter, who I think will still be in the title mix. And then you go all the way back to Roma, fourth with 19. So usually early in the season, it's more bunched up than that. But you already have a 12-point gap between first and fourth. So it really looks like for the title, it's going to be Milan, Napoli, and maybe Inter. And then that's it. Everybody else is thinking in terms of top four, including Juventus. So it's... 
Folks, I'm going to uh, let you in on a little secret here, why David Mossy is the savant that he is. So I, I, when we're doing this show, I have the, uh, the standings pulled up here. And I know David has his phone every once in a while. But for example, what he, what he just did there was all off the top of his head. I would love to crawl into the mind of, of David Mossy because you are... You are incredible, my friend, to be able to pull all that stuff up uh, on a consistent basis. It was all correct, right? Yeah, it, uh, yeah. it, it was all correct. And even if it is, just you know, fake it till you make it, my friend. Uh, but man, well, oh man. okay, you've 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 we'll branded me. Curtain you've branded me as a genius there, but let's let's turn to the uh, down note of the week for me. Uh, you might recall on last week's podcast, <laughs> I went on this whole spiel about how Bayern was this absolute juggernaut. Right. Uh, this season, they might be the best team in Europe. And right on cue, the next game they played, the day after the podcast dropped. I was getting mocked but incessantly about this on Twitter. Uh, they go out and suffer their worst defeat in 43 years, 5-0 to Borussia Mönchengladbach, which featured Joe Scali in their starting lineup uh, in the German Cup. You say, well, it was the cup match, so surely they rotated. No, no, it was their strongest lineup. Lewandowski, Muller, Kimmich all in there. Uh, absolutely my, one of the most mind-boggling results I can ever remember. Uh, <laughs> then if, if it is such an anomaly and such an aberration, then don't you just throw it out to just say, listen, that was one of those days the soccer gods said, you know what? Nothing that you touch is going to happen here and everything the opposition touches is going to turn to gold. Yeah, it's uh, listen, it means they're not going to win the treble and it's a stain on this season. We're going to look back and it is they're going to have one of their worst results in club history in there. But I still stand by the fact that they're a very strong team. They bounced back this weekend, beat Union Berlin 5-2. They're still on top of the Bundesliga, on top of their Champions League group. So in the two main competitions, onward and upward for them. But uh, that was... And if you're going to do it, <laughs> have America benefit from it. So uh, yeah, yeah. Joe Scali, right? Um, all right, anything else, Mossy? Uh, so that's it in uh, Germany. Uh, just one game I want to mention in Ligue 1. Uh, PSG uh, came from behind to beat Lille 2-1 at home on Friday. Remember, Lille won the title yep. uh, last season. So that was... A battle between the two teams that finished first and second Canada, last season. Canada, uh, right. Jonathan David opened the scoring. Again, PSG didn't look great. No Mbappe due to injury. Messi was less than 100%. Didn't look right. So they took him off at halftime. They said as a precaution after pretty lousy first half from him. Uh, the One positive note, I've been really hard on Neymar. I thought he was great in this game. Best performance of the season. Looked like the old Neymar. Very spry. Involved in both goals at the end. Uh, Di Maria got a goal and an assist. It was Marquinhos with the equalizer, Di Maria with the winner and an assist from Neymar. Uh, so PSG, again, we talked about this on paper. Everything's fine. They're running away with Ligue 1. They're in first place in their Champions League group, but you just don't feel like it's clicking yet. So Your loins. Again, your loins. So you're not getting that, <laughs> that, that tingling in your loins. I get, Listen, I get it, but week after week, we come on and say, yeah, but, yeah, but they're just, nah, and they're sitting, you know, they're, they're still cruising. They're getting points and doing all that. So, uh, all right. Uh, anything else, Mo? So match day four of the Champions League this week. Uh, some of the games I have my eye on, obviously um, Atalanta hosting Manchester United, the continuation of this story. We'll see if United can build off this weekend result. Uh, Leipzig, Jesse Marsh hosts PSG. Uh, so Messi is, is a doubt there. We'll see if he plays. Liverpool hosts Atletico Madrid. They played a great game, match day three. The Liverpool won 3-2 in Spain. Now they face each other at Anfield. And Dortmund, we'll see if they can... Last match day, they lost 4-0 to Ajax in Amsterdam. So now they get a chance to... A little revenge here, but we'll see if they... So those are the games I have my eye on. And then I texted Luis Aguilar about this. I did not think it was going to end up in the rundown, but he put it in there, so we might as well have fun with this. Did you see uh, what happened in the Brazilian league match between Grêmio and Palmeiras this past weekend? Uh, I, 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 well, I saw because I know that you texted us uh, <laughs> last night, and it was amazing. I, I, showed it to, <laughs> I showed it to my wife, and she could not 
understand what the hell was happening. So lay it so, out for us. Grêmio, proud club. They've won the Libertadores three times, including very recently in 2017. They have had a disastrous season. They're in the relegation zone. It's looking like they're going to get relegated. So tensions are very high there. They hosted Palmeiras this weekend. They were down 2-1 late. They scored what they thought was an equalizer. It was ruled out for a very uh, tight offsides decision. Uh, and then Palmeiras went back down the other end and, and scored a third to win 3-1. So at the final whistle, the fans stormed the field and destroyed the VAR, uh, I don't know what, machine. Machine, yeah. And uh, it was just incredible scenes. And, you know, there were fans all over the world who hate VAR pointing that and saying, yeah, well, believe me, we've wanted to do that as well. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, it's like that scene in Office Space where they're, they have the baseball bat over the, uh, the, uh, the copier because it is, it is symbolic of, for a lot of people, what... what what is wrong with the game? Although the amazing thing about the clip I sent out, and this tells you everything you need to know about South American soccer, is how amazingly calm the announcers were. Uh, like, <laughs> as if nothing that out of the ordinary was happening. Uh, and I keep thinking about like the malice and the palace is like the craziest thing that's ever happened in American sports. They make documentaries about it. Right. Well, in South American soccer, stuff like this is like an every other week occurrence and we right. just sort of laugh about it and move on. Oh my goodness. Well, <laughs> thankfully, nobody was hurt. Uh, was hurt. Other, uh, no person was hurt. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> the VAR screens were destroyed and I'm sure they will uh, replace that. And their, their message was sent uh, loud and, uh, and clear. All right, Masi, uh, we good to go on? Uh, yep. All right, uh, we will take another Another quick break and when we come back oh it's time for uh, ask alexi we got all sorts of questions uh so don't go away getting ready to take on spring make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools from hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more right now you can save 50 dollars on select battery tool sets real steel Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. All right, we are back uh, and it's time for Ask Alexi. Use that hashtag Ask Alexi out there on all the social media platforms or you do what a lot of people have been doing and that is you call into our State of the Union hotline. That is 657-549-2297, 657-549-2297. Seven. And we had some uh, audio questions this week that we were going to play. First off, we got some uh, we got some international calls this week. We I had no idea that we were international or, or so international, so much so that people from out of the country are calling in to uh, send us their comments, questions or concerns. So I'm glad that uh, people are doing that and that they're coming internationally makes it that much better. So we are. We are worldwide, my friend. All right, Brendan from our, uh, from our, I don't know where he's from, but he is in Argentina. Brendan from Argentina, what does he have to say? Hey, this is Brendan from Buenos Aires. I got two quick questions for you. One, I, I was just listening to your comments about living abroad and, and your experiences abroad and how football, and I, and I couldn't agree more. Um, the first question, I'm, since I'm in Buenos Aires, obviously, you made a comment or, um, Masi made a quick comment about Marcelo Gallardo and his suit changing his clothes. And there's a lot of speculation here in Argentina. Maybe it's out of your realm of expertise, but um, if he goes to Europe to coach, where do you think he would go? But the second question is much more about being an immigrant in Argentina. When I was living in the U.S., there's a lot of discontent with immigrants who came to the United States who would root for their country of origin when they played in the United States. Say somebody from Costa Rica playing against the United States 
quote unquote should be ruling for the United States. Having been here for 15 years and, uh, and y'all having lived abroad, at what point should I be picking Argentina over the United States? I got my own personal opinions, but I'm curious what you guys think. All right. Interesting. Interesting why call. Don't, why Brandon. don't I handle the first okay, part ahead, of that yeah. call? Uh, first off, kudos. I said Gallardo last week. It, Brandon actually pronounced it correctly. I heard that you said, okay, come on. Here we uh, go. The double All L right. is uh, pronounced like a J there. Uh, and yeah, this is a very interesting story. Phenomenal coach. He's been at River since 2014, seven years, which is unheard of in South American soccer. Uh, incredible success. He's won two Libertadores titles, including beating Boca in that final in 2018. Should have won a third, frankly, in 2019. They lost the final to Flamengo, where they were the better team and were leading uh, in the closing minutes and surrendered two goals to Gabigol. Uh, the one thing he hadn't done there is win a league title. And it looks like the, everybody knows this is his last season. There's kind of a last dance kind of feeling around him right now. And it looks like he's going to have sort of the storybook finish. They're going to win the Argentinian league title for the first time under him. And he's going to then presumably go off to Europe. Um, he, you know, he, he, he would have, if the timing was different, he would have been an ideal coach for the Argentinian national team. But Scaloni's doing well, and we're a year out from the World Cup. So, I mean, that, that timing doesn't work out at all. Um, so, presumably, he's going to go to Europe now. He had been mentioned for Barcelona, and a lot of people looked at that and said, boy, your first job in Europe, it, it'd be going to Barcelona right now, that, that, that might be a little tricky. And I agree. Why? Is it a different game? Are they playing different rules, different laws? No, What's but fun? just, you know, that team is such a mess that you want that to be your first, uh, you know, we talk about all the... the toxic, you know, dysfunctional nature of that club right now. You want that to be your first job in Europe trying to solve that mess. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Right. That, um, makes, that makes more sense. So, uh, so I, I, he's a great coach. I think he, he can do well in Europe, but I hope he chooses wisely. It, it, it strikes me that La Liga would be a good fit, but maybe a second tier club like one of these Sevilla, Real Sociedad, Valencia types, I think would be the perfect sort of entry into European soccer for him. If he does well at a club like that, then the next step would be taking over a a, a bigger club. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see where he ends up. Yeah. Go big or go home. <laughs> <laughs> All right. To his uh, second part of his question. Um, and, and we've talked about this, uh, this before and it, and it, in particular, uh, as I think Brendan alluded to in the United States with, with our incredible diversity and, uh, with, you know, with, with all of our immigration and uh, all of our dual nationals, including including myself, when it comes to who your national team is, um, you know, there there is this, I guess, for lack of a better word, this this conflict at times. And, you know, I not that look, I'm, this isn't this is going to sound judgmental, but I, I have no problem with, you know, when when the Greek team, which is you know part of my heritage, uh, you know, my father's Greek. Uh, when the Greek national team is playing a game um, because of that connection, of course, I'm going to feel that affinity. But there's not a chance in hell if Greece was playing the United States that I would cheer for anybody else other than the United States. And, and once again, this isn't because this is for a number of different reasons, not the least of which is <clears throat> I live I work, I make my home in this, in this country. And I think that there is a, a recognition and a level of respect that is associated with that, that connection and that support that I give that team. If you're just, <clears throat> if you're just a mercenary, if you're just passing through, okay, but you know, this is, 
This is a national team. And I know it's just sports, but this is a national team. And it's representative of whatever country it is that it represents. In this case, this is a, a U.S. national team that represents your country. And I know it has good and bad and all that kind of stuff. But I like to think a national team represents the best of what we are and, and maybe an ideal. But in doing so, I think that you, in terms of your support or your non-support, are making a statement, if you will. And so, you know, to your point, uh, Brendan from Argentina, yeah, at times it does irritate me and irk me when I see our national team not supported in our country um, by, by those of us that are here in this country and are reaping the benefits of this uh, great country. And I like to think um, our proponents and supporters of this country. And in doing so, I, I don't think it takes anything away from how passionate um, and connected you are with another country. Okay. It's just in that moment, I think there's an opportunity to stand up and provide recognition in the form of a sporting event and a team that you are supporting to say this country that has given me so much. And this is, this is my words. This is how I look at it. This country that has given me so much, the least I can do is support it when it comes to a team that represents uh, this country. And I don't think that that's too much to ask, even in this day and age. So that's, that's where I come, uh, come down on, uh, on it, Brendan. I, I get that there is conflict. Like I said, I get that it tugs both ways. And for some people, that, that tug of war is, is much more than, uh, than for other people. But you know, I still believe that this is the greatest country in the world. And I think you need only look at the amount of people that want to come here and the amount of people that will risk everything in order to come here to provide a better life for themselves and for their, uh, for their family. Uh, there's a reason for that. And in that moment, I think you are, you are showing your gratitude for that country. And not, and not to put too much on what, what ends up being just a, a sporting event, but it does mean something to me. I don't know. Uh, Brendan, let us, let us know what you think, because you, you, you held something back there. But call us back in again, and uh, I'd love to know your thoughts on that. Sounds like he's looking for an excuse to jump ship from the U.S. and root for Argentina. No, no, listen, if you're, you know, he's living, he is reaping the benefits of that country and culture down. I don't know what he does, but, but he is down there. He, even if he's just a guest down there. Um, yes, I have no, I mean, Argentina, that can be your, your, your team to root for down there. But for example... If the U.S. came down there to actively, you know, once again, I, I don't know if he's he's a citizen and if that's where he's making his home and he considers himself Argent, Argentinian or Argentine. What do we decide when we did the Copa America? But whatever, wherever it is, then then that would be how it would be. You would reflect your stance uh, down there if uh, if you are Brendan. But yeah, go go for it. I mean, there's that's a great team to support. Uh, except when it plays uh, the U.S. And then for me, it's always going to be the U.S. Uh, another audio question. Okay. Oh, what do we got here? 
well, you mentioned staying with the international theme, Matt from Austria. Ooh, Austria. All right, let's go to Austria. Hi, Alexi Mafi. This is Matt from Filach, Austria. I have a hypothetical scenario that I'd like your opinion on. If the U.S. men's national team could be guaranteed automatic 2022 World Cup qualification today, but they are also guaranteed to be in group of death, would you take the deal? I look forward to your answers. Uh, by the way, could we borrow Brendan Aronson for a bit over here in Austria? Our World Cup qualifying chances aren't looking too great, and he's been awesome to watch at Salzburg. Love the show, guys. Thank you. All right. Matt from Austria. I mean, uh, no, you can't have Brendan Aronson because he's been one of the bright, shiny spots when it comes to our national team here. And we certainly uh, need him. But it's great that that he is making such an impact. Uh, and it's so favorable and positive in terms of and I don't think he's long for Austria, to be quite honest with you. So he's going to be moving on and, and going away from uh uh, Salzburg there and uh, moving on to uh, bigger and better things when it comes to his uh, his club career. And we hope he continues to uh, do, do great stuff for the U.S. So it's not going to happen uh, for Austria. OK, interesting, interesting hypothetical there. Part of me says they're going to qualify anyway. So I want the best possible group. Uh, and when I say the best possible group, I don't want a group of death. And so I'm willing to risk it. But, you know, bird in the hand and all that kind of stuff, I would say I will take the automatic qualifying right now and the group of death. And this is why I think for all the talk and the progressive evolved type of thinking when it comes to this team. And while it has improved, I think ultimately at its core, this U.S. men's national team is much more American, if you will, traditionally American in its style than we know. In that I think that when the chips are down, this is going to be a team that is going to function much better in the underdog capacity. That has traditionally been a wonderful place for the U.S. men's national team to be. So I'm actually not as fearful of a group of death in a World Cup, especially a World Cup where it's a neutral type of site, it's pristine conditions, and the... Other teams have something to lose as opposed uh, to the U.S. So I'm going to take the guaranteed 2020 World Cup qualification and the group of death. What about you, Mossy? I would go the other way okay. because I think U.S. fans are a little shook right now by what happened in the last cycle. But really, it, it should be a 99% certainty that the U.S. should qualify out of CONCACAF for World Cup. So just for that extra 1% certainty uh, to, to put yourself in the hardest group where you could land. I mean, I don't know what the pots are shaping up to be, obviously barely any teams would qualify but you know imagine if it's like brazil spain ghana and the u.s that raises the degree of difficulty so much getting out of your group i don't know if that's worth the trade-off for that extra one percent of certainty i don't know i once again i actually worry more about a i don't know a qatar uh switzerland um, I don't know. Pick a pick a what's what's who's the fourth place team out of uh, Comnibol or something or Kabar, like Kabar, Colombia, Uruguay, what, 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 that or you know a uh, Japan or something like that. I, I worry more about that where everybody looks and says, "Oh, these are all games that the, the U.S. Uh, should win." I think that that I think that that is more dangerous for us than actually playing teams that the world thinks are better, and they may they, they may very well be better, but 
I don't know. Let us know what uh, you think. It's a good question there from Matt over there in, in Austrian. An interesting hypothetical right there. Um, okay, we got uh, a third and final question. We're going to take this one off of Twitter. You want to read this one, Mossy? Yeah, Matt C. asks, with five subs now in play, will coaches continue to infuriate the fans by waiting till the 68th minute to effing make a good sub or goddamn sub. <laughs> okay exactly uh read it right all right uh matt c that is a good question i mean look you know from listening to this show way back last year when all of this stuff was happening relative to the pandemic and we were kind of just throwing stuff at the wall we all said that the five subs rule uh, in particular was something that was going to last uh and it has has it fundamentally changed the game not necessarily but i i do think that as we continue to evolve and continue to move on with those five subs that you will see a changing of the historical and traditional pattern of substituting where we know it's kind of 60 minute. That's where you start to make your subs. You give you give players that 15 minutes to see what's going to happen at the beginning of the second half. Uh, rarely are you making halftime substitutions and, unless something egregious has happened out there or 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 first half subs for that matter, unless, like I said, something ridiculous has happened or there's an injury out there. So I do think that the choices of those uh, when to make substitutions will start to change. I mean, you mentioned uh, and it's probably for for injury, but, you know, uh, we saw Messi come out at halftime the other the other day. There might be more of that um going going forward so i don't think it's happened yet to the extent where you can actually see it but i do think as we progress that the five substitutes which is not going away it's going to continue on and keep in mind the the uh the progression of this rule right we started the game where there was no substitutes then there was one substitute then there was two substitutes then there was three substitutes now we're at uh, five substitutes. And I'm not sure, I don't know how long this is going to last. I think it'll last probably beyond my lifetime, but there will be a point where it increases even more. What do you think, Masi? Yeah, I mean, bear in mind, it's still only the three windows. Uh, sure. So coaches are still cognizant of that. But yeah, it, it could change. Now you, from a player's perspective, right now, uh, a manager taking out a player in the first half of a game for a non-injury related reason is considered this major occurrence you really you could lose up. the player you and really screwed do you up, think right. over time that'll change and yeah i mean but you'd have to set it up you'd have to have a situation where from a tactical perspective you have a person that you think is going to go absolutely nuts in you know like a 25 period moment and you know that that impact that you have at the end of the game you're going to try to manufacture it in the beginning of the game and i, I guess the the thinking would be just as people's minds uh, are and, and physically and mentally, they are um, worn down at the end of the game. You might say, I'm going to jump all over. People talk all the time about jumping all over teams. Well, maybe you have a specific player or group of players that are designed to actually do that, but are designed to burn bright, but 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 burn out very, very quickly. Um, it would be interesting. And then you'd have to make it very, very clear to that player that this is not a demotion. This is not a problem. You're actually providing something very, very interesting. And you have to see benefits from that, either in terms of the goal scored or the chances created or the way that you are putting a team under pressure that then you can capitalize if and when you bring that bring that person uh, off the field. So and and that might, from a mental perspective, be hard for a generation of players to wrap around. And you would need kind of an innovator. It would have to be a... Like if Pep did this, 
everybody in the next year, everybody would be doing if Pep said, well, this is why I'm making 25 minute subs, right? You know, after 25 minutes, this is why I'm doing it. Everybody would say, oh, that's ridiculous. And then they say, well, maybe that's right. And then it would change. I mean, you know, he's not solely responsible, but there is there is an entire sport now that plays out of the back, even when they have no business playing out of the back, simply because. Pep and others decided that that was the way to play the game. So things could change. Yeah, to your point about there being no subs in the past, in the 1962 World Cup, Brazil's second group game against Czechoslovakia, Pele uh, suffered a muscle injury early in the game, and and there were no subs then. So he had to spend the rest of the game on the field, not even moving around, kind of off to the side, just as like a nominal 11th player. And I've always thought about that from the Czechoslovakia perspective, because I'm sure their whole game plan was to stop this guy. (laughs) At what point does it dawn on you? I mean, he's still on the field. It's Pele, but like, I guess we don't have to worry about it at all. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I would be interested to see the modern day manager coach, if he or she had to approach a game with those antiquated old rules, like how they would go about doing that. And, you know, would you would you target the opposition knowing that they can't make a change if there is an injury? Uh, would you like strategically, how would you go about something like that? That'd be fun to see. I don't know if we're ever going to ever going to see that. Anything else, Mossy? That's it. Good question there from Matt C. And from Brendan and Matt uh, on our audio questions there. Uh, a reminder, you can send in uh, your questions, uh, as we said, you know, Twitter and uh, Facebook and Instagram and all those different things using that hashtag Ask Alexi. And you can certainly and continue to do so. And please do uh, use our audio hotline State of the Union hotline, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. We appreciate all the calls. Whether they're international or domestic doesn't matter, but we do thank uh, people for listening and, and calling in from around the world, uh, evidently. So that's uh, that's good stuff. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. And when we come back, it's the end of our show. And at the end of our show, you know it's time for my one for the road. All right, we're back and it's the end of the show. And so it's time for my one for the road. And in a time when I guess we're talking about this all the time, I guess this is evergreen. But certainly over the last couple of weeks, uh, we've talked about, you know, the the changing of coaches and the firing, the sacking, whatever your culture calls it when it comes to um, changing coaches. And it's done in all sports and in all leagues and every coach slash manager that uh, that gets hired recognizes that they are hired to be fired and they accept that as part of the gig and you know all of the the sayings apply it's easier to fire a coach than to fire a whole team um, we do treat it as often as um, as sport and sometimes that that masks the reality of the situation when we we're talking about uh, human beings yes highly paid human beings and oftentimes if and when they do get fired they are generously compensated but human beings nonetheless, and they are more than just the actual human being that is the coach. They are their families, their children, um, uh, their wives, their significant others, all of that uh, kind of stuff that is impacted and affected by the decisions that uh, these folks make based on, uh, for the most part, uh, when people are uh, are failed. I, in my capacity as a player over the years, have been involved with plenty of teams where we have had uh, coaching changes, and they always talk about Know, losing the locker room and, and what that looks like uh, in uh, in reality. 
And it can be very, very direct where it's in your face and you know very, very quickly when you're in that locker room that whatever this coach is saying is going in one ear and out the other. Uh, and you can either sense it or you can actually see it play out in terms of the interactions with that coach and uh, the players. Or it can be a little bit more understated and it can be beneath everything that is uh, that is going on. But once it happens... It's very, very difficult uh, to get back. Um, I, uh, my old coach at the New England Revolution, um, wonderful striker and legendary striker, uh, Frank Stapleton, who was the first coach ever for the New England Revolution. Uh, it would be an understatement to say that we didn't quite get along for a number of reasons. And, and I, I, I might have talked about it before. But anyway, I just saw that he came out with a, uh, a book and in it, uh, he talks about our relationship, which, as I said, was was not good, was not positive and probably wasn't uh, healthy. And I don't think that that he particularly liked me at the time, because who knows, we've we've all grown since then. Um, and the feeling <laughs> the feeling was mutual and, and it wasn't based off of whether these people are necessarily good people or not. Sometimes that that is part of what's going on. It's much more the way that things are going. And a lot of it has to do with who you are at the time, how old you are, uh, the things that you are going through, the results that ultimately dictate so much of whether there is a positive vibe or, or, or not a positive vibe. And, you know, the players recognize the power that they have in their hands in terms of how they go about responding to these coaches uh, and managers. And sometimes uh, it can be wonderful at the beginning and then it can go south and it can go south very quickly or it can go south um, uh, over time. But ultimately, uh, the decision is is going to be made because the people that are in those positions to make those uh, those decisions don't think for a second that they haven't caucused and they haven't gotten the feedback of those players. And the best coaches are able to come in and obviously have a relationship. You hope that it's positive, but at the very least, you hope that it's respectful and that ultimately those players look at that person that comes in and they want to do above and beyond what they have been doing. And once again, this isn't necessarily players being malicious or withholding effort in order to screw a coach. Uh, and get what they ultimately want. Now, I'm not saying that that doesn't happen. That, that certainly can happen. A lot of times it's much more subtle. Um, and sometimes players don't even realize it. And sometimes you are in a locker room that has been lost. And either some of the players don't realize it. Or the worst part is when the coach doesn't realize it. Um, or fails to uh, accept it. And as I said, it it never gets any better from there. So... You know, while we are in this moment where all of these coaches are changing and everything, um, sometimes recognize that it does just come down to a bunch of human beings being in the same room and having to work together and having to accept and respect the fact that not everybody is created equally. It is not always a meritocracy and that you have to have leaders and you have to have followers of those leaders. And there is no bigger leader than that person that is put in charge of the team. And when it goes great, it's wonderful. <laughs> when it goes bad, it's, uh, it's horrible. Uh, anything, Mossy, before we move on? 
Yeah, what is the name of that book? If it's <laughs> trashing you, I might want to. I don't know. He uh, he was not happy with, uh, and, and and he's not necessarily the only coach that that sometimes had problems with my extracurricular activities that were going on. Um, you you were the David Beckham of American soccer. All these distractions, a celebrity. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And and I can I can completely see where he was coming uh, from. I'm talking about Frank uh, Frank Stapleton. I will I will tell you this, and this is not in in defense of me or anything like that, because I I guarantee you that I was a pain in the ass uh, at times. He was in the unfortunate position of not only coming to a brand new league and to a brand new country and culture and having to adjust on the fly, but he was also just finishing his career. Um, as a player. And I I'm firmly believe that it's very, very difficult to make that transition very, very quickly from doing it to explaining it. And he had not made that transition. And, it, and it's hard because you want so very badly to have them behave and do what you you think is the right thing. And oftentimes it is, you just can't you, you, you don't have the words yet. You don't have the vocabulary yet to be able to explain it. Um, and, and, and I say that, and if you want a graphic representation, um, he would train with us. He would get his ankles taped before players that were actually on the team and going out and, uh, and training. And in his mind, that, that didn't register as a problem, but it's a big problem, Okay. And it, and it means it has nothing to do with whether you can do it or not. OK, like I said, this is a legendary goal score. But in the same way that I talked last week about my feelings when it comes to what coaches wear on the sideline, it's important that you separate yourself out. You are not a player anymore. And the sooner you realize it, I think the more successful you are going to be. Anyway, Mossy, anything else? That's it. All right. We've come to the end of yet another show. Uh, we remind everybody that Decision Week is this week for Major League Soccer. We will have all the coverage and the whip around going on when it comes to what's happening on Sunday. Uh, our friends at ESPN will do the East uh, Eastern Conference. We will be doing the Western Conference. Please tune in. It's going to be so much fun to see the musical chairs. And when that music stops, who is left in those positions of being in the playoffs and who is going home. Uh, we encourage you to continue to, uh, like I said, use that hashtag Ask Alexi and send us your comments, questions, and concerns. Use that um, hotline that we have when it comes uh, to our State of the Union hotline, 657-549-2297. Continue to review and to subscribe and to rate and to uh, download and do all the other things that you do out there. We thank you so much for participating in our little uh uh, our little project here that is the State of the Union podcast. We will be back here again next week. And until then, and as always, size the day. Yeah.